Um, I know there isn't anyone in this church called Archippus, unless you were very unfortunate to have that as a middle name. But uh, Paul says to the Colossians, um, the leadership, I guess, he says, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I think in the ESV, uh, it talks about the ministry that you have received. I prefer the word work, because ministry is a bit of a a sort sort of holy word, isn't it? We misunderstand it. But I believe this is a word for someone here who has started something for God, but needs to complete it. There we are. Recognition of the truth of it already. (laughs) Thong. There we are. If that's a word for you, take it to heart and seek to complete what God has given you to do. I prepared two sermons on the same subject and I'm going to attempt to scarf them together, which is always exciting because I never know where I'm going in my notes, So, as you've probably worked out over the years. There are three things that the writing apostles of the New Testament major on. One of them is Jesus, the head of the church. A second one is the church, the body of Christ. And the third one is the Holy Spirit who comes and fills not only the individual believer as his temple, but the gathered community of God's people, i.e. here, us, uh, with his spirit as well. The spirit comes to dwell in this temple. And so those three ingredients, if you like, Jesus, the head of the church, the church, his precious body, and the spirit, who brings it all together, they are the main thrust of the New Testament writers. And what I want to say this morning, I'm sure you know, but it's worth saying, you can't have the head without the body. Maureen and I went to see uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, the film, I mean, not the lady, (laughs) Um, And the film ends, as you probably know, if you know anything about uh, the history of Mary, Queen of Scots, her head is separated from her body. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't actually see it happen, but... Which is a spoiler, isn't it, really? Uh, um, Anyway, um, the head is separated from the body. And there are lots of people who are born-again believers who are firmly committed to Jesus the head, but feel they don't need to the body. And the New Testament presents them as an indivisible unit. It's not, well, I'll take one and not the other. The church, could we have um, my first slide, please? Thank you. I wasn't sure what size... This is the first PowerPoint I've used in this building. I wasn't sure what, what size... I, I hate PowerPoints, but um, because they tie you down. You can't wander. I wasn't sure what size to make the font, because I hope it's big enough. It's what? And what's that? No, it's not. It's, it's 28. I'm sure it's 28. The church, for any believer in Jesus Christ, is not additional, it's not optional, but it lies at the very heart of God's purposes for the world, and it lies at the heart of his purposes for you. If you're a born-again believer, it's not good enough to spend your time in front of a telly, 
watching God TV and not gathering with the saints. It's not good enough. That isn't New Testament Christianity. The, the New Testament presents someone who is knitted into Christ as already spiritually knitted in to the family of the church. And what we have to do is to find the local expression of that church for us to commit ourselves to. But when we think of the word church, as I think Steve said a fortnight ago, it's not the building, but it's the company of God's people. It's an outpost of heaven. It's a glorious outpost of the kingdom of God. It's an embassy of heaven where the world can see what it means to be truly human as God intended us to be. I hope that you are discovering, not only by being a Christian, but by gathering with other Christians, that you are more human than you were before. Because we are walking in our destiny. We cannot achieve our destiny in Christ on our own. We need one another. I'm particularly interested in the Zulu War of 1879, as lots of us are, aren't we? And uh, Tuesday is the anniversary of Rourke's Drift. I won't go into the details, but it was where 100 redcoats were besieged by thousands of Zulus, and they won against the odds. They won because they gathered together in a little sort of outpost and they fought for one another. They, they worked together and in the end, the, uh, the fighting went on all, all night as well as into the early hours of the morning. The Zulus retreated. They, they'd lost 600 men. And um, the Brits lost about 15, I think. It was glorious. <coughs> and um, the, in the film Zulu, the Zulu army, the impis, come again. And the Brits are absolutely exhausted, and they think, oh, no, we're almost out of ammunition. We have to start th throwing biscuit tins at them or, or whatever. And what the Zulus did was they sat down and they saluted them as heroes. And then they went off home to nurse their own wounds. I thought that was brilliant, because here's a defeated enemy who recognised the glory of the victors. And you think, Eileen, where am I going in this? I'm lost already. By the way we live together, and by the way we love together, Jesus said, the world will know that you are my disciples. So our relationships in the community of the church are vitally important, not only to defy the enemy who wants to ruin the church, but also to witness to the world that we are Christians. Now, in this rather marvellous um, classic text in Acts, I love this passage. It should be normal for every church there is in the world, but unfortunately it's not, but it should, should be, because I think here you've got a blueprint of how God wants the church to exist. Now, you can say, well, they had all the fervour and enthusiasm of something new. It's bound to just sort of tail off and everyone gets a bit fed up and it's all routine. But actually what they had, and which we have, which is available to us, who is available to us, is the Holy Spirit who keeps everything fresh. If you've got bored with church, if you've got bored with your faith, Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you and impact you again. Open the scriptures and rejoice at the truths of the New Testament. Don't ignore the Old Testament. 
either, but allow the Holy Spirit to spark your spark again. Because that's what kept the first Christians, the early church, fresh. Let's read it. Um, It's Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, the classic passage, which many of us will probably know off by heart. What I love about this passage is the number of ands there are. Now, this is a literal translation, so and must be there in the Greek. I haven't looked it up, but it must be there. And so it's showing you that each of these statements is connected to the others, that there's a flow of life. You can't separate one thing from another. These are all the ingredients of something that if you leave an ingredient out, you get less than what you bargained for. So, does that make sense? It's always intriguing when people frown. They think, what's he going on about now? (laughs) And they devoted themselves. That's a powerful statement at the very beginning, isn't it? Oh, I think I'll just stroll along once in a blue moon. Oh, don't even bother to learn their names. Nah. But they devoted themselves. How, how, how many are devoting themselves? How many? You can give me a number. 3,120. It's an awesome amount of people. Can you imagine this room? Well, you couldn't get 3,120 in here, but supposing there were. What would our growth groups be like? Every person in this room would be a growth group leader. Don't you rise to the challenge of that. Isn't that glorious, eh? Think what, me, look after 12 people? Yes. Why not? And they devoted themselves, and there are four key things that they devote themselves to. There's the apostles' teaching, what we would call the New Testament. It didn't exist then, of course, but they devoted themselves to what they knew from the apostles, either by letter or by visits, Um, I guess with lots of what they could remember, Jesus is saying, Um, and also the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves to truth. Have you devoted yourself to biblical truth? Do you read the Bible? Do you read the Bible every day? Do you think about it? Do you ponder? Do you look things up? Do you wrestle with truth? They devoted themselves. That's a very strong word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship, this koinonia, this this community, this being in it together. They devoted themselves to it, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. They didn't devote themselves just to prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers. And what that means is whenever there was a meeting for prayer, they were there. They gathered for the prayers. It wasn't there were books of prayers which they read. They gathered to pray, led by the Spirit, and as a family, they devoted themselves to it. We'll come back to that text in a minute. But do you know there are things in the New Testament which are quite outrageous? You've probably encountered that before. You think, my goodness me, am I expected to believe that? That's outrageous. Here's one of them in Romans 12. Each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that astonishing? You belong to everyone else who's here. You belong to to them. And if you're missing, the whole doesn't function properly. You belong. We belong to each other. The ESV says we are individually members one of another. It's as if we're some sort sort of amazing creation, all... Joined to one like some glorious octopus, and you know, we're 
we're all together. So if one's missing, we can't function. Here's another astonishing truth. Each one, sorry, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. God gives us stuff to bless the body as a whole. Have you ever had those moments where you think, yeah, I think I might have a word there? And then it goes. You think, oh, well. Or it doesn't go, but you keep hold of it. You don't share it with other people for the common good. We need to be so much better as a family in sharing what God gives us for the common good. You never know who's going to be blessed when you say something. You've been astonished sometimes when someone comes up to you and says, you know what you were saying the other day? I said, no, I forgot. He said, well, it really blessed me. You thought, well, it was just a throwaway comment. But actually it was a comment that the Holy Spirit wanted you to share for the common good. That was in 1 Corinthians 12. Also in 1 Corinthians 12 it says, there should be no division in the body, but its parts should have an equal concern for each other. Isn't that amazing? That we should have an equal concern. We should be concerned about one another equally. Now that begs the question, do I know enough about you and what's going on in your life to be concerned for you? I might be outraged by the clothes you're wearing, but that isn't the point. Do I know you well enough to be concerned for you? Do I know if you're grieving so I can grieve with you? Do I know if you're rejoicing so I can rejoice with you? That's what Paul is talking about here. We need to know one another well enough so that we can enter into one another's lives. It's very easy, I think, for us to see ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's another thing to be friends. Do you, do you agree, agree with that, or do you, you know, you're welcome to, to disagree? Um, start throwing things, like five-pound notes or something like that. Um, see, you are all my brothers and sisters, but there's some of you, I don't know you at all. I don't know anything about you. I think just looking around, see who's here this morning, I think I do know all your names, which is glorious. Um, I'm convinced that Jesus knew at least 82 people by name. There aren't 82 people here, so we can all know one another's names. Jesus knew the 12 by name, and I'm convinced he knew the 70 by name. I don't think he said, well, just pair off amongst yourselves. I think he hand-picked them and the pairs that they were to go out on mission work with. He, he knew at least 82 people by name and something about them, so he got the pairing right. What did he do before he chose the 12? He spent the night in prayer. He got all the pairings from God. The Holy Spirit instructed him. I do forget people's names sometimes. Do you know the easiest way to deal with that? You asked them. I'm sorry, I, I, I asked you this last week, what was your name, and I've forgotten in the last seven days. Please tell me what your name is again. I'll tell you what we could do. could wear badges. We could, couldn't, couldn't we? Or is that, that, that too official? All right, we'll put it on our foreheads then. It's so much easier. See, most of us in this room have got memories that are just a little bit frayed around the edges these days. Speak for yourself. Um, 
one of the greatest honours you can give someone is calling them by name. And if they shared something with you last week, just referring back to it. And another great way in which you can honour someone is by saying, during the week I've been praying for you and your situation. How has it developed? And those are simple things that we can do that build more of a family unity in our midst. Let's carry on with this text. Um, And awe came on every soul. Gosh, that must have been such heady stuff. Everyone was in awe of what God was doing. So we're getting to know all these people. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together. Not quite sure how 3,120 people got together, but it says they were all together. They spent a lot of time together. Many of them, of course, had jobs, occupations to go to, but they were together and had all things in common. There was a lot of sharing going on. And they were selling their possessions. That's uh, continuous perfect tense. So it meant it wasn't something they did just once. They kept on doing it. Where there was surplus stuff, they sold it and gave the proceeds, uh, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, somehow in the midst of busy lives, these hundreds and hundreds of people interacted with one another on a daily basis. That blows my mind. That every day they spent some time with their brothers and sisters in Christ. It was all so totally new to them. Why they did this, I don't know. Let's imagine that they were compelled by the Spirit. It's amazing. Day by day. And day by day, attending the temple, they didn't worship in the temple. The temple in Jerusalem, as you know, had vast courtyards and they would, with colonnades to provide shade from the sun, uh, and they would meet there. I very much doubt that all 3,120 met at the same time in the same, same place. But they spent a lot of time together. So, somehow they worked it out how they could be like that. And breaking bread in their homes whether that means having communion or whether it means that they were having meals. They were just sharing their lives together. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that astonishing? Do we think that that is just some past historical event that isn't going to happen again? Or is that what we want to see in our day? This is the family of God working in the power of the Spirit. And it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Can we have the next slide, please? This is a very famous passage. I'm sure it's very familiar. It's in Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And... uh, There are lots of encouragements in this part of the letter to the Hebrews. Let us do this. Let us do that. Let us. Um, And this is one of them. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us consider how to provoke one another, how to spur one another on, how to encourage one another, how to get one another going. And I was thinking, how do we stir someone else up to love? What would you say was the easiest way to encourage someone else to love? You love them. You love them. You reach out in love to them. How do you encourage someone to get into good you do something kind to them. You provoke them. You set an example. You encourage them. 
instead of the opposite, of course, which is not neglecting to meet together. As is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Have you ever felt like not coming to church? Have you ever felt like not going to growth group? Have you ever felt like not going to a prayer meeting? Have you ever felt, oh, I can't be bothered? Has anyone ever felt like that? You're not going to put your hands up. Oh, you're, you're all right, you are honest. <laughs> Excellent. You're making yourselves vulnerable. That's good. God can bless you. Because we all feel like that. We all feel like that. And I don't know what their lives were like then, but our lives, oh, they're so busy. Especially if we're retired, they're busier than ever. (laughs) How do you fit it all in? You fit it all in by making priorities of stuff. And those first few words that we read in Acts chapter 2 tells us how they did it. They devoted themselves. In other words, it was the priority of their lives to be family. Now, when it says uh, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, this doesn't just refer to meetings. Church does have some meetings, but the family of the church does not consist of meetings, but of meeting together, of being together. Forty-odd years ago, when Maureen and I encountered our first charismatic church, it was a huge shock. Well, it was to me. I don't think it was to her. It was a huge shock. Um, And there was this kind of rumour that went around that said, if you want to be a member of this church, you have to give the elders a copy of your front door key. It proved to be a false rumour, but of course I was outraged, because I just bought this house and I wasn't going to hand the key over to somebody else. Um, But what the essence of truth behind it was, let's have such open lives and open homes that we share our lives and our homes together. One of the things that happens in a church in relationships as is intended to, is you can get close. We need to get close. We, we are talking, aren't we, about deeper and deeper relationships in the church where we love one another, where we care for one another, have an equal concern for one another. But close can quite easily become closed. A clique is a group of people who spend a lot of time together and they're very unwilling, reluctant to welcome other people in. It's a closed shop. And we daren't be like that. We, we must destroy anything that looks like a clique so that we are truly an inter- generational church where it isn't all the 20s together the under 40s together the under 57s together the the over 80s together the the centennials together (laughs) you go to Japan there are thousands of people in their hundreds Awful, isn't it? Sorry, awesome. Awesome, not not awful, awesome. Um, We must truly be friends, groups of friends, people who've got common interests, who are open to one another, not closed shops. I don't know if you've walked in here sometimes on Sundays and all you see is people's backs. 
because they're sometimes so intent on talking to their own friends that you get ignored. Now, if you're brash enough, of course, you can just barge in, can't you? Say, hey, good morning. Give them a hug and a kiss, and they think, oh, my goodness, this is outrageous. Um, but we must be open to one another. At the uh, Titus chap- chapter 3, Paul talks very clearly about regarding older men as fathers, younger men as brothers, older w- women as mothers, y- younger w- women as sisters in all purity. Elsewhere, I forget the reference now, but he talks about the older women teaching the younger women. Drawing lessons from their own experience of marriage and family and childbirth and instructing a new generation in how to do it. I think that's marvellous. I'm sure you've been to meetings when the speaker has been older than you and you've learnt something. It's actually quite difficult in this church because most people are older than you. Unless they're younger than you. (laughs) Which actually isn't easy when you get to our age. Anyway. um, Because we're brothers and sisters, there mustn't be any no-go areas. We must be open to one another. Um, And encouraging one, one another in our faith, in our getting to know Jesus, in our Bible reading, in our being filled with the Spirit, in our being responsive to the Spirit, encouraging one another to be the person that God has called you to be. In other words, encouraging one another to walk in our destiny, to be who God wants you to be, to do what God wants you to do, especially if your name is Archippus. Now, how do we do, well, no, let's ask another question. Why do we do do that? We have to do this more and more. There needs to be an intensity in the way we work on our relationships together because the day is coming. Now, the day referred to here is the return of Jesus, but actually it could, I know it doesn't refer to, but let's say it could, refer to the day I die, in which case all my opportunities have gone. I can't do it anymore. And you, you, you can't do it anymore. So we've got to make, as Paul says somewhere else in the New Testament, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, We love it when people pay attention to us. We l- don't, don't, don't we? Or do you like being ignored? <laughs> we don't like being ignored. Do, do we? We, we, we want people to take notice of us. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father placed all his attention on his son. So, some of it according to one gospel writer, was to Jesus alone. He said, you are my son. Another gospel had it being very public. This is my son. And in paying attention, God affirmed his son. He gave him identity. He affirmed him. He recognized him for who he was in his relationship with God the Father. He expressed his affection. The son I love. With you, I am well pleased. So he expressed approval. And all of that adds up to honour. Father was honouring son. The Bible might use the word glory 
instead of the word honour. So in John's Gospel, God, God says, I have glorified your, your name and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to glorify you on the cross. You're going to be glorified. I'm honouring you. And one of the one another commandments in the New Testament is that we honour one another. We give one another attention. Sometimes you see a friend that you particularly want to have a word with and you walk past all these other people and ignore them. But hey, supposing you just acknowledged each person you walk past. Have you seen an American president walk into the Senate or walk out of the Senate or whatever? They're glad-handing all the way. I'm not saying that our relationship should be superficial like, like that, but just recognising one another, honouring one, one another, expressing and affirming, expressing affection, affirmation, approval, and honouring one another. God did it with words. We can do it with actions, acts of kindness. We can do it on a Sunday morning. We most certainly can do it at growth group. My own personal experience of growth group, oh, dearie me, it's the best thing in the whole week. It's awesome. I can't get enough of the growth group I'm in. It's incredible. And there are some of you who don't go to growth group. And I want to tell you from my own personal experience, you are missing out. You truly are. You are missing out. If you've ever, have you heard of Gordon MacDonald? Have you met Gordon MacDonald? I've pressed the flesh. Mm. <laughs> and on the strength of that, I bought his book. Mm. Uh, one of his many, many, many books where he pours his heart out. He's a very honest man. Astonishing. Uh, but his latest book, or one of his latest books, is called... Ah! The Resilient... Resilient Life. Thank you. Resilient Life. If you're resilient, you can bounce back all the time. And the last few, few chapters are precious chapters about how, particularly as we get older, but at any age we are, we need one another. We need that faithful few around us. Now, I'm convinced that we can all know one another. We can know one another's names. We can know some stuff about one another. We can hug one another and kiss one another and greet one another. But our expectation is that we will grow when it will become rather more difficult to know everybody. So big that you never sit next to the same person or person you know every week. You think, My goodness me, I don't know anybody in this church. <laughs> this is awful. Um, but in your small group, in growth group, there's a group of people, a band of brothers and sisters who know you, you know them, they love you, you love them, and it's all deepening over a period of time. And you can be yourself. What does it take to be yourself? Vulnerability. You make yourself vulnerable when you share your life with other people. Jesus shared his life with other people. He made himself vulnerable. He let pe people see him as he was. The Apostle Paul became very vulnerable. Uh, and he maintained that family set of relationships because he said to the Thessalonians, uh, I've been among you like a father caring for his children. I've been among you like a mother sharing her life with her children. He 
gave himself, the Apostle Paul, he gave himself in these very vulnerable ways. If you've been a mother or father, you know that with your children, you can make yourself very vulnerable. They know things about you which you perhaps don't want them to share with the neighbours or the other members of the family because they know you, they see you in the home. And as we make ourselves vulnerable, usually people will draw closer to us because they see us as we are and they know that we are humans and not superhuman. Unless there are superhumans here. We are all superhuman in the sense that we have the Holy Spirit with us. And none of this drawing closer to one another and making ourselves vulnerable happens by accident. You have to intend to come on a Sunday. You have to intend to go to small group. You have to intend to take part. It's all intentional. You have to intend to phone someone up or to send them a text or to knock on their door or to bake them a cake or um, wash their windows. I didn't ask you to wash my windows, but I'm very grateful. I just wanted to express the love of God. You can come and wash my windows any day, David. Um, Clean the snow off your car. You actually thought it was your own car, but you find that it's the the other person's. There's a little cartoony thing on Facebook about Finnish archaeology. Finnish archaeology is where you're digging all the snow from around all the cars in the neighbourhood to try and find yours. It's very funny. Well, I think it is anyway. Um, None of this happens unless we are intentional about it. In one sense, it's... I know it's glorious spiritual truth that we are brothers and sisters, but in a sense, it's theoretical until we put something into practice and we develop friendships with one another. Meaningful friendships, meaningful relationships that are growing deeper because we intend them to. We make them get deeper and deeper. There's a a lovely little passage towards the end of Malachi, which is the last prophecy in the Old Testament. And it said, Those who feared the Lord sat down and talked with one another. And the Lord heard them. You think, oh, That's a strange thing to say. That's not very exciting. Isn't it glorious when you have a conversation with someone, they've stopped in their busy lives, they've engaged with you in conversation, they're sharing something of their life with you, you feel prompted to share something of your life, and you think, this is glorious. Along with the windows being washed and the car windscreens being cleaned and the baked cake suddenly appearing on the doorstep. Or um, as happened to us once when we had four little girls at home. Suddenly, there was a big bag of lamb joints on our front doorstep. Yes, it was glorious. We had a butcher living next door. Not that it was his idea, but someone in the church had said, will you put some meat on their doorstep. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. One one day an old, sorry, a widow, sorry, I don't know if she was old, a lovely widow in the church, or perhaps sister, I can't remember now, she paid for us to go for a week's holiday on the south coast of Spain just before Christmas. Babysitters look after the kids. That's awesome. Who's open to that sort of thing happening? We all are, aren't we? But we need to 
know one another. We need to love one another. We need to be intentional about it. And not only in making ourselves... Not, not only getting to know other people, but being happy to make yourself known. So, well, I don't mind getting to know you. I'll give you a hug. But actually, I don't want you to get to know me. I don't want you to put your arms around, around me. No, thank you. It cuts both ways, doesn't it? How... That, that's how relationships develop, where we... Well, you know how to make friends, don't, don't you? But perhaps you need the Holy Spirit to come and give you some new ideas and to prompt you and to say, reach out to that person. Reach out to that person. Twenty years ago, when I was giving a similar talk in another church the Lord gave me an illustration. Not that I've ever done this. Some of you with, uh, will have done this, I'm sure. Free fall parachuting. You done that? No? You haven't? Oh, you, you surprised me, Jude. Free fall pa parachuting. So, someone jumps out the plane, they make a starfish, and, and, and they're going, and then someone else jumps, and they hold hands, and then the third one... They hold hands. So there's three of them. You think, oh, at last, I've got, I feel secure. And then a fourth person jumps out. Oh, crumbs, I've got to let go of one of the, these hands to include this other person. And they do, do that. And then, oh, crumbs, a fifth person's jumped out. I've got to let go of another hand. And when they're doing this sort of, I don't know what it's called, but group free fall parachuting, you're forever letting go in order to gra grab hold. And that's what our friends, our friend friendship should, should be like. We are not exclusive in our cliques. God forbid that there are cliques. Let's stamp them to death. But we are inclusive. We're allowing other people into our groups. Has your car got wing mirrors? The rear view mirror in the windscreen? Yeah. We, we should have those all the time, particularly on Sundays, where we're looking over our shoulder to make sure, as we're engaging in our relationships, that no one else is getting left out. So that we become inclusive, united... And the world will see by the way we love one another that we belong to Jesus. I've got 58 more pages to go, and, but <laughs> it's all right. No, we'll, we'll stop there. We'll stop there. Stop there. Oh. <laughs> These are the other 58 pages. I feel that the Lord has shown me that there are some people here who, although you come, <laughs> you actually don't feel you belong. You've, you just, there's something in you that says, they don't really want you. You don't really belong there. And if that's you, I'd love to pray with you afterwards. There are lonely people in this church. And it's our job to make sure that no one feels lonely. As Maureen said, there are people who feel they don't belong. It's, our, it's, our, it's partly our job, but essentially our job, to make sure they do feel that they belong. We can't ignore one another. Now, I've had lots of ideas going through, through my mind as to what we do to bring it to, to an end. I still don't know. But it would be good, I think, if we 
with, with the standout in a minute. And as you feel able, just to greet one another with a hug. And maybe even a kiss on the cheek, which is quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend. Um, Paul says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, you might not feel able to do, do that. But I think having listened to my ramblings, it'd be good if we actually cemented them just by greeting one another and, if, if, I, if you're able, hugging one another. Um, a handshake will do, but it's not as much fun, I tell you. <laughs> Bob, did you want to say anything? Well. No. <laughs> do this. <laughs> Before we do that, can I just... Uh, I thought Barry's been really good because he's been very practical today. Just think about one or two of those practical things to do. I know one or two, I've written a couple down. I think, do you know what? In the next week or two, I'm going to make sure I do this or I do that. And the second thing is, as we, obviously, we'll break for coffee in a minute uh, and go around the, the, the usual way, please do stay for coffee. But do remember what Maureen said. And if that's you, seek her out at some stage during the coffee and, and get prayer. Okay. Let's hug each other. <laughs>